0: There we go. So everyone's doing well. I'm doing well. I'm encouraged. Uh, and I do want to say a public, I want to give a public apology for not having our uh, projector and screen set up. Uh, we want to we corporately worship God. And I know sometimes that could be hard uh, when you don't uh, know the song. So that's a, an apology uh, from CCS behalf uh, for not having that, uh, for you guys to be able to join us uh, Thoroughly in worship. So I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we'll get right in it. God, I just thank you so much for this time. I thank you so much for our friends, our family, our visitors, uh, those that are here for the first time. We're grateful that you've brought them here. God, we know that you are fully in control. Nothing surprises you. uh, And we worship you because of that. Uh, God, because you are eternal. You are on the throne. You are all loving. You are all good. You are altogether pure and holy, and we are not, and we thank you that you've saved us and that you've sent your son so that many can come to know you in a way that leads them to intimacy with you. Uh, God, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your word, uh, and thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so a couple weeks ago, we started a teaching series. Called Watching Life and Doctrine. And and basically what we're doing in this teaching series is covering some of the main main things, some of the essentials that defines Christianity and therefore influences how we see the world and how we live in it, right? So the first week of the series we touched on the Bible, right? Uh, That the Bible is... Truly God's inspired word. And that through that, I just got a Facebook status. And that through that, uh, we stand on the rock, which is the Bible. And that that is the foundation on which we build on. The Bible is principle. The Bible is primary. Not because I love this book, but rather because it comes from a God who is supreme and is sovereign. And we worship that God. Last week, uh, Brother Pastor Logan Gentry from Apostles Church came in and shut it down on creation, Uh, and it was dope that he didn't necessarily talk too much about the how of creation, but the why of creation. Genesis 1.25 tells us that God created, took a step back, looked at everything, not just us, not just the birds of the air, not just the beasts of the field, but he looked at everything that he made, stood, stood back and said, man, this is very good. I killed this. This is good. This is what I do. Which shows us that he enjoyed creating. He enjoyed putting things together. right? He enjoyed creating the heavens and the earth. But then he actually took his time, stepped back and formed us from the dust with his proverbial hands, if you could. That he invested into us. He enjoyed it. But not only did God enjoy it, But it was all very good. And this is the first two things that we covered in this teaching series. That God created a world that was pure, that was majestic, and that it displayed clearly and specifically His character. Right? This is the world of Genesis 1 and 2. Right? But we know that the world of Genesis 1 and 2, this perfect world, this harmony that we see, right, That God created things and they were perfect and they were pure and they were in harmony with one another. God with man, man with man. We see that interaction between Adam and Eve. And then man with the rest of creation. Meaning God gave Adam, the man, dominion and power and authority over everything in the land. He said cultivate the land. He said be fruitful, multiply. There was a harmony that existed in the world of Genesis 1 and 2. But we know. Uh, That the world we see today is not the world of Genesis 1 and 2. However, this Genesis 1 and 2 world that God initially created was God's intention. But we don't see that today, and I'll just give some examples of that. Uh, I don't need to be an environmentalist, uh, but for a second I will, uh, because this was the environment God created for us to dwell in. Uh, The ozone layer, right? You know that the ozone layer is something that God created to protect us from what was outside that would be damaging to this planet and therefore to us. Uh, as we know, there is a hole in that ozone layer which now causes the actual rays of the sun to penetrate into this earth that caused detrimental, damaging effects to our planet. We are not taking care of this planet that God has created for us to live in. So we already see the, the difference, right? When he created Adam and Eve, there was a world there that existed that, and it was good and it was very good and it cultivated and it, and it bore fruit. Right? Bear fruit for those that don't know. Bear fruit, t shirt here, right? <laughs> that world existed and it was good and it was fruitful, yet we know that our world is not always fruitful. That's why dudes work hard, that's why we work the, the plants and we sweat, and we work. We do not live how Adam and Eve lived. We do not live in a safe harmony with animals. Adam had control and dominion and power over animals. Yes, we do with dogs and cats, but we don't with lions and bears. The only way we interact with them is when they're behind a cage because without that cage, we would be destroyed, right? There is no harmony between man and creation. Mm. Men don't chill with lions because they will eat them and devour them and tear them limb from limb. However, Adam and Eve hung out, chilled and had even dominion over those animals. They told them what to do. They even named them. We don't see that in our world. And then lastly and ultimately and probably more importantly, men, humans, hate other humans. Humans envy other humans. Humans hurt, torture, and kill other humans. I debated whether or not I wanted to go down a list of very evil things that we see in this world. But I said to myself, and I almost felt God telling me, I don't think you have to, Rich. We all here are convinced of the evil that exists in this world. Turn on the news, read a newspaper, check your Twitter, Twitter timeline, check your Facebook statuses, and you will see... People hating others, you will see people envying others, you will see people slandering others, and you will read about people killing others. Just a couple months ago, a young girl in our neighborhood had a son, gave birth to him in an alley, and left the baby in the garbage can to die. Just last night I read an article about a newborn child. And me as a father of a three-year-old and a uh, pregnant wife who's due any minute now. I read about, a, about parents that beat their, two-month, their two-month-old newborn to death. This, this is the world that we live in. This is not the world that God created in Genesis 1 and 2. So, my hope for us this afternoon is that we would be aware or identify what has gone wrong between Genesis 1 and 2 and the world that we live in now. What is, what has happened? What changed this world that we live in? What changed the world that God created? And that in finding that out and in identifying that, we would see how desperately. How desperate we are for God and how without him, there is no salvation for us. That's my hope for us. And so I want to start by giving us a little overview of sin, because I don't want to go ahead and assume that we all have a proper biblical understanding of what sin is. Right. So we ask the question, what is sin? Is it to kill? Is it something you do? Is it something you don't do? Is it to kill? Is it to curse? Is it to, is it to not help the elderly person in the train? Or is it to not, as my wife would say, give up uh, your seat to a pregnant lady in the bus? Right? She cringes at that. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Right? What is sin? Uh, but as we tackle those questions, I think it's, it's appropriate that we have an understanding of God in order to know what is sin. What is sin? And we spent several Sundays talking about the character, the attributes of God. God is altogether holy, lovely, beautiful, merciful, just, loving, right? And amongst all the other things that we studied. But I want to tackle one. And Brother David spoke about this. This was his preaching. God is unified. Father, Son, and Spirit. Three different persons, three different roles, and yet one God, in essence, working together for His full glory and our full satisfaction. God is unified. Three persons, one God, in essence, working together for His glory and our satisfaction. That is God. He is unified. And as God is unified, so are His words or His commands, right? His commands are also unified because in Scripture, God gives several commands, several, right? Yet, there is not one command greater than the other. All of them are equally significant because it comes from the God who is unified. Therefore, his commands or his words are also unified, equally significant. All right? Now, the reason why they're all equally significant is because all of God's commands exist so that we would listen, obey, be satisfied, and ultimately display the beautiful, majestic character of God. Right? That is the purpose of God speaking, that we would listen. I feel like I'm talking to Josiah. Listen and obey. Right? Me and my wife tell him this all the time. Because to listen and obey is to love and to be satisfied and to display the character of God. That is the purpose of God speaking. That is the purpose of God's command going out. And so now, ladies and gentlemen, here it is. Sin is any failure to conform to that moral structure that God has created, whether in act, in thought, or in nature. Try to break this down a bit. Any failure to conform to that structure, and I think that we're scared of the word structure because it means that we're restricted, but in reality, structure exists so that chaos doesn't, right? And when there is chaos, follow the domino effect, when there is chaos, there is that dissatisfaction. And so ultimately, God does not want us to be dissatisfied, so he creates a structure for us to live in so that we are eternally and ultimately satisfied in the structure that he's created for us. This is, this is God. And so to not conform to that structure is to sin. And here's why. 5% battery. This is not good. God, you're sobbing. Here we go. This is why Romans 623 says, for all, there's no there's no Mofi for iPads. <laughs> no. Right. The charger quick. I have the charger. Right. Oh come on girl, I need that. It's all good. I think I think it'll last. But, but yeah, get that charger. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Satan don't want me to talk about sin. It's crazy. Alright, here we go. This is why Romans six This is right, Romans 6.23 says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, because sin is to not conform to the character of God in which he's created us in, right, in his image we were created, and so to not conform to that is to say, I'm going to trust in something else, I'm going to conform in something other than what I was created to be. And so God is telling us here, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So now we don't have we don't have God in us, we cannot display God to others or to this world. The phone is good. It's my iPad. That's dying. Thank you, brother. I love the CCF team, man. You guys are on point, man. Thank you, bro. When it comes to returning, when it comes to returning, restoring the perfect, harmonious relationship with God and put his pure character on display to the world, we are incapable of our, because of our unconforming nature to that. Right? Right? There was a fracture when Adam and Eve sinned, and we'll talk more in detail about that. There was a fracture between that harmony that existed in the Genesis 1 and 2 world when Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned. And now for any one of us that want to return to that kind of relationship, that pure, perfect, harmonious relationship with God in order to have the image of God restored fully in us and then for us to display that to the world perfectly, we are incapable of doing that ourselves. Because we are the problem. We are incapable. God is big. We are small. You guys hear me saying this all the time. Especially when we spoke about God's eternality. God is big. We are small. God is creator. We are creatures. God is altogether pure, holy, good, and separate from what is evil. We are clearly not separate from anything that is evil. Evil exists in us. We'll go into that a, a bit more. We hate, we envy, we hurt, torture, and kill. We do these things. Now, some of y'all may be sitting there and saying, well, I've hated, I've envied, but I've never killed, so I think I'm in a better situation than others. Well, this is where it's different. God, my friends, has a much higher view of morality than we do. God, to put it better, it has a more pure understanding of good and evil. And so for him, he looks at the slander and he looks at the murderer, and he says, "You are both condemned because you both do not conform to who I am." Right? Now this is why his morality is higher than ours. This is why his judgment is greater than ours. People say, "Man, the, the, the punishment really doesn't fit the crime. Well, because God's pure understanding of good and evil, he says, no. If sin is to not conform to who you've been created to be, which is me, right? To, to be in my image, then what you're doing when you sin is to conform to something else and giving an improper vision or picture of who you were created to be, giving me a bad name, right? right? And so the murder and the slander are both not conforming to that image to which they were created in or to be, an offense is committed toward God when we sin because rather than trusting in God, therefore not reflecting the image of God, we trust in and reflect something other than our ultimate purpose, which is God. At the center of sin is not self-interest, it's offense. At the center of sin is not self-interest, but rather offense towards God. Why? God God wants us to be blessed. God wants us to receive. So there is some Christian self-interest there that is good because I want eternal life for me. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul didn't mean that for anyone else, but for himself. He wants gain because going to Christ is his gain. So... Self-interest in some respects isn't bad, right? That's why self-interest is not the center of sin, it's offense towards God. Psalm 51.4 says, David, who was a king of Israel, had it all, committed several sins, several of what we would call huge sins, against people, individuals, and he cries out and he says, against you only, O God, have I sinned. Yet, his sin of adultery was against his wife and against Bathsheba, the lady who he slept with, who they later had a child with together. His sin of murder was against Uriah, right? And I'm not trying to downplay that we should approach those and ask forgiveness of those who we've hurt, but ultimately who we offend is God because we've all been created in the image of God and we need to bear that Image We need to show and display that character of God, and when we sin against others, yes, we're sinning against them, but ultimately, we're sinning against God. Acts 5, when the church was just starting, the Christian church was just starting, Peter had a church, <clears throat> and he had a couple uh, that was pretty well off, and they would kind of withhold some of their money, and they said, no, 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 we've given everything, and Peter says, hold on, I, th- I think you're lying, you, you haven't given everything. And then he says, <clears throat> you have not lied to man, even though it was to Peter. Peter's saying this himself, and although it was to him that they lied to, right? We, we like to make ourselves a victim. Oh, man, you lied to me, man. What's wrong with you? But Peter had a right understanding. He said, you haven't lied to man. You've lied to God. Your sin was immediately against me, but ultimately against God. Yeah. Yeah. Right? This is, this is sin, This is what God is doing. Romans chapter 5. We'll spend the rest of our time here trying to unpack why we were born, why we're born sinners. Why by nature we're children of wrath. Romans 5, if you have it, if you don't sit next to somebody who has a Bible, because we're all about community, we want to share with you. We want to be good Christians. Romans chapter 5. I don't even know how much we're going to read. We're just going to start in verse 12. We might only get up to verse 13. <clears throat> I'll read it for us. We'll read 13. Oh, excuse me. We'll read 12. Uh, we'll read 12 to 19. And we'll see what we can cover by God's grace. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, meaning the Ten Commandments. Obviously, there was a time where Adam to Moses, there was no law, but sin still existed. But sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those sinning brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification, a good, right relationship with God. That's what that word means. For if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life of the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and the life for all men. Here it is, the kicker. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You get it from your dad. We get it from our dad. That's kind of the first idea that I want to unpack. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, we'll stop there. We get this nature from our dad, our ultimate dad. We hold the Genesis account to be historical, to be true. And so when I look at Adam, I look at my first father. My first biological father. Sin and its effect, and its effects of death is. Or it it exists in every human individual because of Adam's disobedience. Sin and its effects exist in each and every one of us in here and outside of here because of Adam's disobedience. But why is that? Because God, because when God created Adam and Eve, he didn't create, he created humankind, not a kind of human. Now let me try to explain that a bit. When God made Adam and Eve, he created humankind, not a kind of human. This is not like, oh yeah, this is a new pair of jeans. No, whoever thought of the first pair of jeans is it. Because he created a new article of clothing. And I know that that might be a bad example, but as that, God created man and woman. They were to be the prototype of every man and woman in essence. They were the first. And everyone that would follow would be like them. Adam and Eve were the prototype. So God sees us as an organic whole. So when he created Adam, he saw us. He saw you. He saw me. And as our humankind representative, Adam acted on our behalf. Adam's sin and guilt became our sin and guilt. Because we are an organic whole, and through Adam's act of disobedience comes ours. Like cancer. Sin entered, or imposed itself, rather. Imposed is probably the better word. Imposed, it, imposed itself in the human bloodstream and is now part, and is now a part of the human nature. And the reality that we all sin is evidence to that truth. Anyone in here haven't done, hasn't committed sin? You just raise your hand because I want to chill with you. Right? The, 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 the reality that we all sin is evidence to the truth of Genesis 3. This is what I understand Paul saying here. Right? Romans 5 is kind of like the explanation of what happened in Genesis 3. Paul is kind of unpacking it, explaining it, the big terms, the big ideas. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all are sinners. Again, I mentioned Psalm 51.4. We were brought forth in iniquity, the psalmist says, meaning from the jump we were filled with iniquity. I'll give the example of my son. Four years ago, I held a uh, newborn baby boy in my hand. Uh, July sixteenth, two 2008. I held... Josiah, in my hand. Uh, and I looked at him, I mean, yeah. I, mean I was flooded with emotions, uh, and, and I just remember one of the things I said, man, here I got myself uh, someone brand spanking new. You know, hasn't been uh, spoken into by anything. He's just come out of the womb. No one has taught him bad or good. He's fresh, fresh mind, fresh heart, fresh emotions, fresh volition, his will, what he wants, his desires. It's fresh, nothing in there. For almost four years now, my time invested into Josiah has all been to display to him what it means and what it is to be good. As a good dad that loves his son, generous to him, every, the, the, the moments that I've invested into him have all been to teach him what it is to be good. So the question I ask, if we come out of the womb neutral, as some would say, not affected by context or environment, even though we can trace that down, well, what is your context, what is your environment, how did that come to be? As individuals, we make up context and we make up environment. So really, what is the problem? And so I'm looking at my son, hasn't been imposed on, hasn't been taught good or bad, uh, and all the time that I'm spending with him now is to teach him good, And my question is, why is it that Josiah hates and envies and kicks and screams and disrespects us sometimes? He doesn't do it all the time because he wouldn't be here. I'd kill him. No, let me stop. I love him. I love him. I love him. Um, but why is it that he has a, a bending towards or a propensity to do that? If no one has taught him anything but good, why does he do sometimes bad? And I believe that the teaching of original sin is the answer to that. Adam's disobedience towards God was the open door to sin into the human nature. His rebellion at the garden opened up that door. This is what God says about us in the Bible. Jeremiah seventeen nine. My heart, our heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Desperately sick. I go to a doctor when I'm sick. I don't try to heal myself. Although some people try, they fail. My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Psalms 51, as I've already mentioned, 5 and 6 says that I've been brought forth in iniquity. I was conceived in sin. Now, was David talking about his mom? Some people say that he was. I tend to think that he was referring to Adam and Eve. That when they sinned and they rebelled against God and then therefore brought fracture to that harmony that existed, David also sinned. I also sinned. You also sinned because we are an organic whole. And God sees us that way and God created us that way. And so when I see here David saying I've been brought forth in iniquity and conceived in sin, I don't think he's talking about his biological mom. I think he's talking about Eve and Adam who in their sin, he also sinned. And then Ephesians 2, 3 and 5 says that we were dead in our trespasses and that by nature, by nature, we are children of wrath. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now my emphasis obviously is on the while we were yet sinners. It's good that Christ died for us. And I'll get to that in a minute. But we were sinners. We have been sinners. And then Romans three ten through 13 Which is what Julissa read for us. Says that none are righteous. None do good. None seek me. Now that's a little challenging. Because we see the world today. And everyone. Christian and non-Christian. Does some good. People give to charity, people create programs to help at-risk teens, people take care of the poor. We see that that that, that exists in our world and I'm going to try to explain that by God's grace. What does he mean by that? None are righteous, none do good, none seek me. Uh, The disobedience in the garden has left us all, all of humankind totally depraved. What is of ultimate good and worth? None do good, none seek me, none are righteous. What is of ultimate good and worth is the knowledge of God that leads you to salvation. I believe that when Paul says here, none do good, none are righteous, none seek me. Paul is telling us when it comes to what's most important or what's most good or what's of most worth, you are incapable of doing that. In other words, you cannot see, you cannot reach God, you cannot go for God on your own to a place where you get transformed and received salvation. On your own, you cannot do that, is what I believe Paul is saying here. Paul is saying here. Now, I want to try to explain totally the depraved because this can be very misunderstood sometimes. Total depravity does not mean that we are as bad as we could be or as evil as we could be because if if that were the case, this world would be extremely different or it would be much worse, right? Nor does it mean that we can never do good as I just explained, but it does mean that sin has infected and corrupted the total person, mind, body, heart, and volition. Right? This is why in our mind, sometimes our judgment isn't accurate. Right? That's why we make mistakes. That's why we sin. In our mind, we think that what is good is bad and what is bad is good sometimes. And we see it in, in the fruits of the decision or whatever the case is. This is why our hearts sometimes deceive us and we think that this is love and in reality we find out that it's not. Right? You can think about any little relationships you've had. You can think about uh, whether it be boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, parenting relationship. And if you found out that those things are hurtful to you, although initially you thought that it was good, your heart can deceive you. Emotions can deceive you sometimes. This is also why sometimes our desires are not God's desires. Because it's been corrupted with sin. And you think that they're good, but... Proverbs tells us that they lead us to destruction eventually, although we're blinded. Ephesians 4.18 tells us that we're blinded to seeing that, and so we think it's good. We think it's going to lead me to success, but ultimately it leads me to destruction and death and eternity without God. When it comes to saving and healing ourselves from this deadly infection of sin, thus restoring our harmony between God, us, and the rest of creation that existed back in Genesis 1 and 2, we are incapable. I know I've said that a lot, but that is the point. We are incapable in and of ourselves to do that. Our sin is the problem, and we are what we do. God is radically different from us. Radically different from us. Right? We spoke about this in our Who is God series. God is dramatically and incredibly different from us. And I want us to take that and embed it in our minds that He created us, not the other way around. Some of you may be sitting there saying, This is a pretty radical judgment by God. And I've had conversations with non believers that say, just doesn't fit the punishment. This is where God's morality and his standards and his structure uh, don't match up to ours or ours doesn't match up to his. It is radical judgment. He is a radical God. But he covers it with radical grace. Radical, undeserving, or Or rather, we are ill-deserving, yet he gives us good. I deserve for you to punch me, yet you hug me. I deserve for you to reject me because of my sin and my adamant desire to not conform to what you have created me to be, yet you receive me. Radical judgment Through what one dude did, but radical grace through what another guy did. When it comes to our positioning with God, God sees us all in one of two ways we are either in Christ or we are still in Adam. We are either with Christ or we are still in Adam the one who disobeyed, or in Christ, the one who obeyed. One of two ways that God views us when it comes to being in a good relationship with him. One brought us death through his disobedience. The other brought us life through his obedience. Jesus' obedience led him all the way to the cross, where he undid what the first Adam messed up. And what's beautiful is that this is not a surprise to God. This is how he's orchestrated it. Genesis 4, please go there because we're going to talk about a guy that nobody wants, that nobody ever talks about. Genesis 4, verses 25 and 6. Adam blew it because of his rebellion. And through his rebellion, as we see, as we saw in Romans 5. Through his disobedience, sin into the world, and through sin, death reigns in all of us, meaning we will all die, and if we are not in Christ, we will die again when he comes back, eternally separated from him. Genesis 4, 25, 26. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, they were totally depraved, and everyone that came through them and after them was now infected with that same disease which is called sin. And so now, what what was the story right after that? Genesis 3, Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. And we saw that that harmony between man and man no longer existed. Why? Because Cain killed his brother. He hated, he envied, he killed. That is the effects of his father's disobedience immediately coming after. But then what happens? 4, 25. When we thought it was all bad, Real bad, Michael Jackson. And then Adam knew his wife again. Right? We read this in in uh, in four one. He knew Eve, and they had Cain and Abel. And we we know here at CCF that to know means intimate relationship with someone, and so it's metaphorical. They slept together. They had a kid. And it was infected with sin. But Adam knew his wife again. He slept with his wife again. And what happened? She bore a son and called his name Seth. For he said, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. Abel was the one that God saw that that, that placed his favor on. But he was killed. But God appointed me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And then here we go. To Seth, this child, this new boy, also a son was born. And he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. There was hope in the midst of debacle. Genesis 3 is what we call the fall. When humanity altogether fell away from God, breaking and fracturing that harmony that existed in Genesis 1 and 2. And so messy, dark, evil, debacle, mess. Yet there was light in that darkness. Yet there was hope in the midst of trouble. And he sends it through this guy named Enosh. Whom, when he came, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So they were they were. They were going back to God. God was doing something through this Enosh and drawing people back to him. This guy Enosh, nobody talks about him, but he's there. God's provision to Adam and Eve points to the coming of the one whom through all people will call upon the name of the Lord and his name is what? Jesus. Enosh was a type or a figure or a kind of foreshadowing of the one who would come people will call on his name and be drawn to God and his name is Jesus there was hope in the midst of struggle that although you can sit here and say dad that's crazy you're going to blame me you're going to give me sin a sin nature you're going to just let it let it let it let it sift through that Through that disobedience towards me because of what he did, that's pretty crazy. That's radical. Well, he covers it with radical grace and it's offered to you today. Jesus died to clean up the mess of Adam. That through his obedience, you would believe in that. You would be transformed. Your heart would be changed. You would now desire God. He would be continually making you, forming you, shaping you, sometimes pruning you through the fire so that you look more like Jesus, the Adam who obeyed. So that you can obey. So he doesn't say, go do something difficult. No, he says, I want you to do something difficult, and through the one who achieved it, he will empower you to do it. This is the gospel message that through another person we get what we do not deserve. And so if you're sitting here and God is pricking your heart and you feel the weight of your thoughts, your actions, your nature that do not conform to who God created you to be, then do not delay in confessing your sin and repenting and going back to God. That he would put his Holy Spirit in you and you would now be his so that when he comes back again, he would come back for what is his, which is his spirit. And if it's in you, he's taking you with it. You with him, excuse me. And so I'll just ask my brothers here as we close to come up uh, for our response time. God is weighing you in and you feel the burden of your sins right? as we explained it through scripture I pray that you would respond to this gospel that you would not delay that you would not put it off no God says that today is the day of salvation please respond by saying God I'm sorry by saying God I need you to cleanse me with your blood I need you to change me and do it until you come back. Because we're all a work in progress. God is doing it slowly in us. That's, that's what we call sanctification. But you need to be first justified through faith in what He's done. And so if you're in here and that's weighing in your heart, we have a time of prayer. Please, please do not pass this opportunity up to be prayed for, to be further explained of what's going on in your heart and what God wants to do through to you through his son Jesus. We'll have our leaders in the back there uh, ready to pray. I didn't appoint anybody so any of our leaders that want to go back there and pray uh, please, you don't know this Jesus, please know him because the path that you are on without him will lead you to death eternally. And if you're a believer in here and you've and you've been sinning and not been conforming to that image in which you were created. Know that there is grace in Jesus and what he's done. So let us pray for you. There is no sin too big that you cannot confess. First John 4, 9 tells us that he is faithful and just when we confess our sins to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God is faithful and just. He will do it. No sin too great for you not to confess. We are all born sinners. And we're all only saved by God's grace. So if your heart is heavy, whether you want to confess or whether you want to repent for the first time and turn to the Lord, we're here to pray for you. We're so thankful for what God has done for us. He's been so generous through Jesus' death that us as baptized believers that identify ourselves with what Jesus has done for us, truly, sincerely, and purely, Identify ourselves with Jesus who has died for us. We want to invite you to respond to the gospel uh, by taking communion. Taking the bread. Taking the juice. Saying, Jesus, thank you. I honor you. I remember you. Moment by moment. We also ask you to respond financially. God has given us his life. We want to give him our time, our energies, our efforts, our thoughts, even our finances. I use this example all the time, and I think it's a great one. I love my wife, and I want to see her grow, and I want to invest in her. So I give her my time, I give her my attention, I give her my affection, and I give her my money also. I invest money into her. I take her out to eat so that she knows that it's not just words, but it's also my actions, Right? And so, uh, in the same way, uh, we want to respond to God. Say, God, I'm so thankful. We worship you. I give you everything. Don't compartmentalize your giving. I'm going to give my time. I'll give my efforts. I'm good. No. Give God your all. And that includes your finances. <laughs> So we invite you, those that have been here for a while, you know the drill. We get up to our right. You have envelopes where you can put your money in. Our visitors don't feel obligated to give only if God leads you. We ask you guys to come off to the right. Drop this off here. And if you are a baptized believer and identify with what Jesus has done for you on the cross sincerely, then we ask you to join us as we celebrate what Christ has done. So we'll just go ahead and do that. Thank <laughs> you.